Good evening, and as you know, um, we're going through the book of Job, so welcome to our Bible study as we look at chapter 18 together. So let's just read through that chapter 18. Then Bildad the Shuite replied, When will you end these speeches? Be sensible, and then we can talk. Why are we regarded as cattle and considered stupid in your sight? You who tear yourself to pieces in your anger. Is the earth to be abandoned for your sake? Or must the rock be moved from their place? A lamp of the wicked is snuffed out. The flame of his fire stops burning. The light of his tent becomes dark. The lamp beside him goes out. The vigour of his step is weakened. His own schemes throw him down. His feet thrust him into a net. And he wanders into its mesh. A trap seizes him by the heel, a snare holds him fast, a noose is hidden for him on the ground, a trap lies in his path. Terrors startle him on every side, and dog his every step. Calamity is hungry for him, disaster is ready for him when he falls. It eats away parts of his skin, death's firstborn devours his limbs, is torn from the security of his tent and marched off to the king of terrors. Fire resides in his tent. Burning sulphur is scattered over his dwelling. His roots dry up below, and his branches wither above. The memory of him perishes from the earth. He has no name in the land. He's driven from light into darkness, and is banished from the world. He has no offspring or descendants among his people, no survivor. Where once he lived, men of the west are appalled at his fate. Men of the east are seized with horror. Surely such is the dwelling of an evil man. Such is the place of one who knows not God. Well, God will add his blessing to the reading of that word. Let's just come before him before we look at it together. Our Father, we thank you for these words that we've read in your presence, and we know that they are hard words, sometimes difficult to understand, and sometimes they speak of very dark things and dark places. But our Father, help us to understand that we need to know these things, we need to understand them, in order to know more about you, and more about the world in which we live. And our Father, we ask that this evening you will open our hearts and our minds to what you have to say to us as we come to you, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, this is, uh, as I say, quite a um, a difficult uh, chapter as we come to Bildad's uh, second speech. And Bildad comes back at Job in a very offensive way. That is not only offensive, it is also defensive. He is protecting his own opinions. He refers to Job not by name, but in the second person. He uses words such as you and your Then, as he continues and we go further into what he has to say, he moves to speaking to Job in the third person. As he talks about him, he refers to him as he and him and his. You know, this can be a a very self-centred and impersonal way to speak to anyone. I know that we are all in danger of doing it. And I was thinking about a time when I was younger, a time being annoyed with my parents and referring to my mum as she. I said something like, she won't let me go out to play. And my dad rebuked me by saying, who's she? The cat's mother. She has a name. 
You see, in what Bildad has to say, that there's no respect, sympathy or effort to take into consideration how Job is feeling or even to hear what he's actually saying. Bildad's words could be applied uh, in a correct way. You know, this speech of his could be applied and spoken to a guilty sinner, one who is rejecting God's offer of salvation and is in danger of coming under the wrath of God. And as Bildad goes on and speaks about the alternate destination of those who refuse to respond to the gospel. But Bildad's application of these words is totally incorrect and is offensive because he's speaking to one who is a faithful believer, who is trusting in God, who has examined his own heart and can find nothing within him that should cause God to treat him the way he's being treated. And in addition to this, there is no compassion in Bildad's approach. So let's hear what he has to say to Job as we keep these thoughts in mind. So let's look at verse 1 to 4 as we consider this. Then Bildad the Shuhite replied, When will you end these speeches? Be sensible, and then we can talk. But what does Bildad want to talk about? He wants to tell Job how the things that Job is saying to him are upsetting him. And verse 3, why are we regarded as cattle and considered stupid in your sight? In other words, why are you treating us like dumb animals? You know, this is probably an answer to what Job said in his reply to Zophar in chapter 12. Because in verse 7 of that chapter, he said, and he said this to his friends, but ask the animals and they will teach you or the birds in the sky and they will tell you. And then verse 4 of chapter 18 Bildad goes on, You who tear yourself to pieces in your anger, is the earth to be abandoned for your sake, or must the rocks be moved from their place? So what Bildad's saying here in these words is, Listen, Job, all you think about is yourself. It's as if you think that the world should resolve around you. Just stop for a moment. What can we learn from this, from these uh, four short verses? Well, you know, it's very easy to fall into the trap of ignoring what people are telling us, especially when they're talking about their circumstances. I mean, all we want to do is to go one better and tell them about ourselves. Something like, somebody might say, um, that the boiler won't work. And we reply, ah, so your boiler won't work. That's nothing, my car wouldn't start this morning. Or maybe another conversation, somebody's uh, talking about the problems they've been having in hospital, maybe an operation they've had. And we might reply, oh, so you had a, an operation? Well, let me tell you about my operation. You know, this is when we're not considering people. It can, it can help to share experiences. It does help to share experiences, but not without thoughts for the other person's feelings. You see, Bildad shows no concern for Job's feelings. And now he will go one step further as he shows no respect for Job as he leaves him in no doubt that he, Bildad, sees Job as a wicked, sinful man.
So let's go to verse 5. And we're going to go through to uh, verse 12. Remembering this is poetry, it's poetic speech, it's graphic speech. So we'll go through it and stop occasionally just to refer to what is being said. So verse 5 and 6. The lamp of the wicked man is snuffed out. The flame of his fire stops burning. The light in his tent becomes dark. The lamp beside him goes out. So Bildad saying, Job, the way you're going, you're going from a dark place to an even darker place. And Bildad continues, the vigor of his steps. And notice he's not using Job's name. It's his steps. It's his, it's him. The vigor of his steps is weakened. His own schemes throw him down. His feet thrust him into a net. He wanders into its mesh. A trap seizes him by the heel. A snare holds him fast. A noose is hidden for him on the ground. A trap lies in his path. Let's stop a moment. What he's saying to Job is this. Look, Job, you only have yourself to blame. And he's thinking, how the mighty have fallen. You're trapped by your own wickedness. And he goes on in verse 11 through to 13. Terrors startle him on every side and dog his every step. Calamity is hungry for him. Disaster is ready for him when he falls. It eats away parts of his skin. Death's firstborn devours his limbs. You know, this is how Job is feeling. Job knows this. Job has said and spoken about this. But this is how Bildad sees Job. And he sees him, but he has no pity on him. He says, I can see you. I know the condition you're in. And what's more, I expect to see a wicked man reaping what he has sown. So let's go for the next couple of verses. He's torn from the security of his tent, marched off to the king of terrors. Fire resides in his tent, burning sulphur is scattered over his dwelling. His roots dry up below and his branches wither above. You know, this is speaking of total destruction. You know, the, not only the branches die, but the roots are dead. And he's saying, Job, you're like a criminal. You're about to be punished for your crimes and terror awaits you. Let's go to verse 17. The memory of him perishes from the earth. He has no name in the land. He's driven from light into the realm of darkness and is banished from the world. He has no offspring or descendants among his people, no survivor where once he lived. People of the West are appalled at his fate. Those of the East are are seized with horror. You know, in a few words, what Bildad is saying to Job is, you know what, Job? No one will remember you when you're gone. And then he goes on in verse 21. Surely such is the dwelling of an evil man. Such is the place of one who does not know God. So he's saying, Job, what do you expect? You don't know God as your Redeemer, but I do. So stop treating me like you treat Eliphaz and so far your friends. Because what you do is, you, by your words, 
shows no respect and you don't consider how you're hurting us and how we feel. It's quite ironical that really, isn't it? As we look at this story of Job. Well, how will Job feel after listening to this? How will he reply to Bildad? We know that sin is not the problem here. Job knows this, but Bildad will not accept it. In his opinion, Job is being punished by God because he refuses to repent. His belief in God will not let the righteous suffer. Therefore, in his mind, Job must be guilty. What I'd like us to do now is to go into chapter 19 and have a look at Job's reply. And what we'll do, we'll walk together through this passage and we'll see how far we go and see what we can learn from it. So if you turn over to Job chapter 19 and the chapter runs from verse 1 to 29. So listen to verse 1 to verse 3. Then Job replied, How long will you torment me and crush me with words? Ten times now you have reproached me. Shamelessly you attack me. See, the things that his so-called friends are saying to him are only adding to his suffering. They're not making one step towards making him feel any better. So verse 4 through to 7, Job goes on. But if it's true that I have gone astray, my error remains my concern alone. If I... If indeed you would exalt yourselves above me and use my humiliation against me, then know that God was wrong, has wronged me and drawn his net around me. Though I cry violence, I get no response. Though I call for help, there is no justice. You see, in these few words, Job is giving Bildad two specific things to think about. Firstly, Job's saying, look, if I've done something wrong that's upset God I don't know what it is but that is for me to live with that's not your concern and secondly he's saying to them look if you want to take the high ground if you want to insult me well you have no right to do that why because it's God who has wronged me Job says that he is right to cry out for help. But the truth is, no one comes to his aid. Well, let's read verse 8 through to 12. He's blocked my way so that I cannot pass. So he's talking about God here. He has shrouded my paths with darkness. He has stripped me of my honour and removed the crown from my head. He tears me down on every side till I am gone. He uproots my hope like a tree. His anger burns against me. He counts me among his enemies. His troops advance in force. They build a siege ramp against me and encamp around my tent. Job is saying here, I don't have the answer. But the truth is God has chosen to do this to me. And he's actually treating me like his enemy. And I feel like a city under siege. And he goes on 
again talking about God. He has alienated my family from me. He has, hasn't he? He's done that. By acquaintances. My acquaintances are completely estranged from me. They are. My relatives have gone away. My closest friends have forgotten me. My guests and my female servants count me a foreigner. They look upon me as a stranger. I summon my servant, but he does not answer, though I beg him with my own mouth. So Job begs for mercy, even from the, the, the lowest person he can think of, one who is his servant, and even his servant will turn away from him. He has no help from what is left of his family. There's nothing left of his friends, no help. His breath is an offence to his wife. This is verse 17 through to 19. My breath is an offence to my wife. I am loathsome to my own family. Even the little boys scorn me. When I appear, they ridicule me. All my intimate friends desert me. Those I love have turned against me. I am nothing but skin and bones. I have escaped only by the skin of my teeth. You know, this is the state of Job. Complete rejection, rejected by everybody and ridiculed even by the young children. Verse 21 to 22. Have pity on me, my friends. Have pity for the hand of God has struck me. Why do you pursue me as God does? Will you never get enough of my flesh? So Job is begging for his friends to have pity on him. Job believes that the hand of God has struck him. Well, you know, there's something wrong with what Job is saying here. Job is absolutely wrong. In this case, it is not the hand of God. Well, you might ask, if it's not the hand of God, whose hand is it? Well, that's a question that Job asked. You may remember way back in chapter 9, chapter 9 and verse 24, Job said this, When a land falls into the hands of the wicked, he blindfolds its judge. If it's not he, that is God, then who is it? So the question is, who is it whose hand is against Job? Well, Job in chapter 9, verse 33 to 34 says this, if only there were someone to mediate between us, someone to bring us together, someone to remove God's rod from me so that its terror would frighten me no more. Job thinks that it's the hand of God that is against him. He thinks that it's the rod of God that is against him. But you know, for us to understand this, we need to go back to see what happened in the first few chapters and see how Job came to lose all his possession and to suffer in the way that he is suffering. Job 1 verse 11 through to 12 and we're going to draw to a close here. I think it's good for us to understand this. Job 1 11 to 12 tells us that it's Satan and this is what Satan said to God. But now Stretch out your hand and strike everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Very well then, everything he has is in your power. 
but on the man himself do not lay a finger. You see, this was allowed by God, but it was set with limitations. God told Satan the limitation as far as he could go. Don't lay a hand on him. Take his possessions, but don't lay a hand on him. Then remember what happened in chapter 2 when Satan's first attempt failed. Job 2 verse 5 to 6. But now stretch out your hand and strike his flesh and bones and he will surely curse you to your face. That's what Satan said. But the Lord said to Satan, very well then, he is in your hands, but you must spare his life. So, it is not the hand of God, it's the hand of Satan who is doing these things. But God is allowing it. God is in control. And God has put limits on it. And I want us to finish with a verse from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. You know, we're only halfway through what is a very dark, deep book. But the darkness, the deep darkness, and the deeper the darkness, then the brighter the light that is needed, not just to penetrate through the darkness, but to completely defeat it. And Jesus has done that. And this is our final verse for this evening. John 8 verse 12. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You know, there's a little bit more in this chapter 19. You know what we're going to see? We're going to see there that Job has a wish. We're going to see that Job's wish turns into hope. And we're going to see that his hope becomes a certain hope. And then we're going to see that his certain hope will become a realised hope. But that's for next time. Let's pray. Our Father, we are conscious that these are difficult words for us to take in. But our Father, we pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you will speak to us through them and teach us about ourselves as we learn about you and as we learn about others. And we ask these things in the precious name of Jesus.